Hello and welcome to The Vinyl Countdown, a show where I, Jeremy Levine, discuss my favorite vinyl releases and hopefully keep you all entertained along the way. On this week's episode, I will be discussing what is currently my album of the year and will probably go down as one of my favorite albums of all time. It is Canadians, oh, Canadians, really? Canada's <clears throat> own Pup and their album Morbid Stuff. Now, just a, a quick fun fact about their name. The uh, P-U-P actually, is an, it's, an, it's an acronym and stands for Pathetic Use of Potential. So that's kind of fun, right? It kind of gives you some insight into maybe what they're what they're like, and uh, also the name of this album, Morbid Stuff. You know, we'll get into it later, but it's it's a very fitting title. Uh, I first heard about them in twenty seventeen. They went on tour with Thursday, and I fully planned to go see that show for Thursday because I'd never heard of Pup at the time. Uh, so in preparation for possibly going to see the show, I downloaded their first two albums. Uh, yeah, I'll just, you know, spoiler alert, I didn't get to go because of work. But, you know, I did download their two albums. And they were okay. Like, the first album is, I think it's just uh, self-titled or whatever. It's it's not bad. You know, it's, it, it's good. Uh, and going back and re-listening... After being a fan now, I kind of, it makes a little more sense, and I kind of like it more. Uh, but it was their second album, The Dream Is Over, that, that was released in 2016, that is phenomenal. And it made sense after hearing that album of why they're touring with Thursday, because, you know, you think, but they're touring, they're touring with Thursday, they, they've got to be good, right? Like, they, I don't know, I don't know many bad bands over the years that I've seen open for Thursday that, you know, I haven't seen any bad opening acts, I guess. So, you know, being really excited about this, that album, um, when they announced that Morbid Stuff would be coming out this year, I was really excited. And then they released Kids, the first single off of that record. And again, wasn't disappointed. It was, it, it was, it was pretty great, but We'll get into that later. First up, Variant Corner. Now, there are 13 listed on Discogs. Uh, however, that number is... It's inflated by people double-posting the same ones, I think. And, you know, it's kind of like... Discogs is sort of like the Wikipedia of the record world, I guess. Because anybody with an account can just go in and put whatever the fuck they want in. And... I don't know who's moderating it, but you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like, it's it's pretty lawless, I've figured out. But So the actual number is nine. All right, I mean, there's there's quite a few you'll see that they maybe won't have a picture or, like, something slightly different is, is described in the color, but it's actually the same one that's already listed somewhere else. So anyway, so from the UK, we have a... Uh, there's a half clear, half white, and... Uh, I believe that was limited to 500 and then there's a pink and yellow with blue splatter uh available exclusive through exclusively through banquet records that one was limited to 500 that's the one that i picked up because i thought that was the best looking one of all of them and then uh, the other six from u.s retailers there was a pink splatter that was 990 there's uh pink oxblood i'm not sure on the, the pressing count on that 
330 of a yellow and cyan, cyan splatter. Uh, there was a dark green with yellow and white splatter. That was kind of like a... Uh, that one seemed to be more like a... Uh, just a, a... I guess a system standard sort of like... There's a bunch of them. There's no... There's thousands. Who knows, right? Uh, a multicolor splatter with on clear with... There was one with a coloring book and coloring pencils and one without. And the coloring book uh, package was the one that I actually originally wanted. It was limited to 500 And without the book, it's 4000 uh, for just the vinyl, but, um, yeah, I, I took too long to decide, and it sold out pretty fucking quickly, which I, I should have known, but, you know, oh, I almost forgot, there is also a picture disc through Urban Outfitters that is limited to 500, but, it, you know, let's be honest, nobody likes picture discs, like, they all, they fucking suck, but, yeah, they look cool, put them in a frame, put them away, but don't ever play them because they sound like shit. But, um, so, with all that being said, the variant that I got is really sexy, and very excited that I waited, I say waited, I'm really glad the other one sold out so that I didn't get, like, hung up on it and then tried to buy it somewhere else, I'm, I'm really glad I got the one I got, because when, when I was waiting for it to come in, some other people on my, uh, on my Instagram, they had gotten theirs in, uh, LA Vinyl 337, if you want to give that a follow, and it didn't look anything like the, the mock-up on Banquet Records website, so it looked, you know, a hundred times better, so I was like, man, I, I can't wait to get mine, right, and then once I finally got it in, and really got to looking at it, it's, it looks fucking great, like, it's, it, it's hard to say what my favorite is, but it, it, it is, if it's not my favorite, it's very close to my favorite, not only just one of my favorite albums, but just the, the, the look of the record and everything. It's one of my favorite looking vinyls as well. So I got mine for, I think right around $30. And now the cheapest I can find that variant is about 50. So I'm pretty pretty happy I got it early. Um, I'm not sure of the weight. I, I wanted to say it was 180 gram, but I'm not 100% I'm not positive on that. But it sounds really, really good. Like surprisingly good like better than even some other records like so you know, they, they they put a lot of uh, a lot of care you know it's really high quality package you know the the jacket itself is a high gloss uh it uh it feels really good in your hands like it just they they, they really did a good job of, of making sure to give you a pretty attractive package or whatever and um speaking of packages there's one i didn't mention just because i think it's kind of kind of gimmicky but I mean it's it's fun if, if you want to do and you had an extra hundred dollars or however much to, to do to, to spend on this record but there was one I believe with the uh the multicolored clear splatter and um or the mul multicolored splatter on the clear with a full like a usable inflatable uh boat and some other things like that <laughs> just like seem so weird, but I mean, looking around, it, they sold out, so people bought them, but, you know, hey, to each their own, right? Then, um, you know, the artwork, too, which I, I didn't, you know, forgive me, I didn't look up who did all the artwork, uh, but <clears throat> it, it's it's pretty, it's pretty cool, like, it's kind of in keeping with the theme of the, of the record, it's pretty dark, and there's, on the back cover, there's a llama pinata that has a bunch of knives stuck in him, and, uh, 
I remember actually seeing, I think it was um, one of the late night talk shows, they actually performed and they made them change their drum, the bass drum head that had that picture because it was, uh, I guess it was too offensive. I don't, I don't know. What, it seems a little ridiculous, but it's kind of funny they may have changed that. And that same image I'm actually using for my son's birthday party or his birthday cake. And because um, it's actually one of his favorite albums too. He always asked me to listen to it and everything else. And uh, it's funny because when I went to order the cake, you know, I showed him a picture and my first I asked the, hey, you know, what do I have to do to get this, to get a picture on a cake or whatever? And, you know, the, you know, the woman had to kind of let me know. And then so I showed her the picture and her face was kind of like, the fuck is that? But <clears throat> yeah, nonetheless, they're, they're, they're able to do it. And um, I just like seeing people's faces and stuff like that because I could tell she didn't know what the hell it was and was kind of just like, oh, Oh, okay, yeah, we can we can do that. Uh, yeah, just send it to here. You know, so she kind of it kind of took her, I guess, by surprise about what she was seeing. But you know, fun stuff. Um, real quick, like I said, so the there, there's quite a few copies floating around uh, of uh, not all the variants, but there's you know quite a few of the variants that still have ones available. And you know, you're looking at between thirty and eighty bucks, which just depending on the you know as as normal, the more rare or more expensive the the more readily available art, but I, I would say to pick it up just for, for any price because it's that great, right? But uh, anyway, on to the music. Track one, titled Morbid Stuff. Uh, opening lines, you know, he says, uh, I was bored as fuck sitting around and thinking all this morbid stuff. And, um, you know, we've all been there, right? You know, that, that's that's one thing about the, I will say about all these songs before I get into them is they're infinitely replayable because they're catchy as hell and they're relatable as all hell too. And one thing I found out while reading for this episode, uh, Jeff Rosenstock, who released uh, an album called Post, that is just a fucking masterpiece, uh, I believe last year, he helped, uh, he helped them in the making of this album like helping workshop songs and uh I'm assuming like you know gave input and just whatever and when knowing that now and listening to the post album I I can kind of it it makes sense that they're they're similar a, a bit in musical style but also in kind of like the, the introspective and sometimes self-depreciating lyrics um and then I think vice versa I'm, from what I read I believe they actually helped him as well with that album so it, it's two, you know, I, I would say very, very talented lyricists and musicians working together. And you can kind of hear some of their influences, I guess, on uh, both of their records. Like, you know, they're, they're both phenomenal. So, but, uh, you know, it's a great way to, to, to lead in, or a great way to get into the album, uh, leading into the first single, like I said, is Kids. Uh, in keeping with the theme of the album, the song has a pretty bright, uh, I guess an upbeat quality to it, but with very, very dark lyrics. Like, um, one of my favorites that he says, which, uh, he says, uh, I'm drifting on the dark sea and I'm drifting on the dark sea and empty sea of nothing. It doesn't feel bad. It feels like nothing at all, which, uh, you know, that, that hearing that it's like, man, that, you start to think like, you know, it's, it's, that sounds pretty bad. I, I guess if you're if 
you're in the sea of nothingness or whatever it might be. But then just to also say that it doesn't feel bad, it actually doesn't feel like anything, which is objectively worse, right? And it reminds me of a line in uh, actually the opening song off of their second album, uh, If This Tour Doesn't Kill You, Then I Will. He says that, um, I don't wish you were dead. I wish you'd never been born at all, which, again, objectively worse than dying than, you know, so th th those kind of, uh, those kind of lyrics, it always, it's, it's pretty good, pretty, pretty cool the way, uh, the way he writes those and kind of makes you think about it in that way. So <clears throat> then he goes on with, uh, in the chorus, there's a, uh, uh, nothing is working and everything is bleeding. And there's like a, like a real kind of a chorusy, you know, in, in the background, uh, they're saying, like, oh, you know, excuse that singing. I know it was bad, but it's giving me an idea. And, uh, you know, it's, that's kind of in reference to his life in general, I imagine, like maybe trying to sum up what his depression feels like. Uh, and I, it's, it's kind of a difficult thing to do, but I think he does a pretty good job throughout the album. And, uh, you know, I really, I feel him on that, like the, the, not, not, you know, not literally, but the, uh, the metaphorical idea of nothing working and everything's quote unquote bleeding, like I can apply to a lot of things, right? So, uh, next up, <clears throat> we have Fun, uh, not sorry, not Fun, Free at Last. It's a, uh, it's a really good song, and, uh, Stefan, who is the, the lead singer, uh, Stefan Babcock, he is, uh, talking about what appears to be a failed relationship, and he says, uh, <laughs> This uh, sloppy Steffi back at it again, calling you up at 5 a.m. And then the girl says, have you been drinking? And he says, well, of course I have. Why the hell would I be here if I wasn't? Uh, you know, so obviously he's not, he's not being the greatest guy here. And later he sings, uh, just because you're special, or just because you're sad again, it doesn't mean you're special at all. Which I think is the other person, you know, saying to him that, that his, uh, his mood swings, I guess, or his uh, depression or whatever's going on, you know, doesn't mean she has to feel sorry for him but it seems like uh you know she maybe maybe the person feels that way like i don't feel sorry for any of this because you know just because you're doing this doesn't mean shit to me because of maybe the shit he's putting her through you know so uh and again you know it's introspective in 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 in, in a way that you know Stefan is able to write this about himself and then basically he's kind of singing it back to himself and you know it's really uh that's 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 really cool to kind of kind of see it that way, uh, you know. Keeping up with the <laughs> relationships and them going to shit theme. Uh, see you at your funeral. Next song, and it's one of my favorites on the record. And you know, again, it's it's kind of just going through these feelings that uh, we've all had after you know a breakup. You know, he says, "Uh, the days blur into one, and I float around the edge of them, searching for something that'll make me feel alive again." That's, a, that's how the song opens, and, you know, again, we, we've all, we've all been there at some point, right, and, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, like, you, you, you say that, uh, you want that person to be happy, or, I mean, you say that, but there's always a party that doesn't always fully believe it, and the chorus of the song explores that a bit, where he, he says, uh, I hope you're doing fine on your own, because after everything we've been through, you better hope you'll find someone, but you won't. So, you, you get a sense of where he is mentally, 
uh, throughout the song, and then at the very end, he, uh, again, we've all been here, but he says, uh, I hope somehow I never see you again, and if I do, it's at your funeral, or better yet, I hope the world explodes, I hope that we all die, we can watch the highlights in hell, I hope they're televised. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty dark, pretty, uh, <clears throat> morbid, right? Yeah, anyway, uh, in, in that he would rather see the whole world just end instead of possibly having to run into this person again at some point, right? So that's, uh, you know, again, it, it's, they, they weave in these really dark lyrics and everything with, with a, a pop punk aesthetic, and it really takes talent to pull that off, uh, Motion City soundtrack comes to mind with that. So the song is catchy and it's fun and make you want to dance, but it also make you want to call an ex and tell him to fuck off. But then, Into Scorpion Hill kind of brings the room down just, just, just a tiny bit. Um, you know, given the subject matter of this song, there's uh, pretty, pretty simply, man has job, pregnant wife, he subsequently loses that job and deals with the the turmoil of that. Uh, it sounds like a story that was created. I'm, I don't know if it was just something he just wrote because it was a cool story or or what, but or maybe it's about his parents. Because I know it's not about either any of them in the band because they're not that old. They don't work office jobs and they don't have kids. So obviously it's not about them. But he did say, uh, Stefan did say in an interview I saw that the song is about uh, walking into a pretty bleak circumstance. And realizing sometimes people's lives are way shittier than your own. So reading that back to myself now, I think about it and maybe it's more of a song. Like he, maybe he's thinking of, of his life being really shitty and everything kind of sucks. And, you know, you just can't kind of can't really get over the hump of, of just life, whatever. Right. But then there are stories like this that happen probably every day. You know, maybe you don't hear about him, but maybe, or maybe he does know somebody going through that. And, you know, it makes him realize that maybe his life you know, isn't as bad as he thinks it is, you know, and looking at somebody who maybe appears to have it all together, you know, you have the, you have a wife, you have a child, you have a, a, a decent job, it appears, but, you know, on the other hand, maybe it's all terrible, and it's not nearly as good as it may, you know, as, as, as it all may seem, so, the, uh, so he goes on with the, there's a line in the chorus that uh, he says, uh, down and out, I've been on the rocks. I've been having some pretty dark thoughts. And he says, yeah, I like them a lot. And that that hits me pretty uh, pretty hard because, you know, having weird thoughts or like, intrusive thoughts or, you know, whatever they might be and not really knowing how to process them. Uh, so you kind of deal with, with a lot of sad shit by maybe trying to see the humor in it. Um, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a little hard to explain, I guess, but I, I, I felt that shit for sure. Like, that that line is just, yeah, I like that one. But, you know, he, he sings about getting his act together and then getting laid off, uh, you know, while his wife is expecting their child. And again, you know, I've never been in that situation myself, but when uh, my first child was born, you know, you know, money was kind of tight and things weren't always smooth and you know, looking back, like, I can relate to that part of the song, because if something had gone wrong, just, like, one thing, it would have taken just one thing for shit to get really fucking bad, and, 
you know, so I guess it's kind of the empathy of, I don't know, I can, I can look at that or I can read it, I can hear it. And it's like, while I can't personally relate to it, again, I can kind of look at it and be like, man, that, that could have been me, you know? So it's, uh, you know, it's easy to see or maybe to feel, you know, what that could do to a family that already isn't really like that far above the struggling line, you know? Um, you know, then fast forward, you know, a few years in the song, he's, uh, talking about working the night shift, uh, kind of being on autopilot and I guess like not living a very fulfilling life. Uh, he mentions, you know, this, a house, uh, this, this sweat soaked mattress and the afternoon fading away. There's a, on the floor, here's a picture of his kid and you see smiling. It's the first day of school. And that's another line I really like. And, you know, ma mainly because I guess the, the idea of struggling through all of this, you know, the, the shitty job, the, your life just not maybe going the way you want it to, but you still have this, you know, the, this kid that, you, that you've raised to now he's in school and things are going pretty well, maybe for him. Uh, and maybe this kid is now setting, getting set up to maybe achieve more than you could, despite whatever you might be going through at, at that particular, you know, throughout his upbringing, right? But um, then <laughs> the song closes from the wife's perspective. It uh, says that, uh, I found the gun. It was buried beneath piles of clothes in the room where your son sleeps. And I can't pretend to know how this will end. It's like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, come on. Like, is he, at some point, was he planning on killing himself? Was he planning on, you know, maybe hurting his family? Like, it's a really depressing end to an already pretty depressing song. And, um, you know, they just sound, the, the people in the story just sound miserable and it's, it's, you know, kind of, it, it sucks. And when, um, I guess when playing the drums for it, uh, Zach, who is their, uh, their drummer, I didn't get his last name, sorry, but they, uh, <laughs> he told them that, uh, because the song is so dark and so weird that he was just going to say, play something really, really fast for this song. Like, just play a really fast drum part and kind of just, I guess, to maybe distract from all the, the crazy, uh, just depressing lyrics. I don't know. But uh, last thing about the song, there's also a really good kind of like, woo, <clears throat> uh, background, like a vocal, I guess, um, now, there's also one in Free at Last, but I mean, the one on this song is, is pretty awesome, and it's, you know, I'm a sucker for like a well-placed, like, like, woo, in a song. Uh, that, mine is terrible, and I know that. Uh, so any, any singing or wooing I do on this podcast, you know, I already know it's bad. I'm just giving you an idea of what I'm, what I'm listening to and how much I like it, right? Uh, you know, Manchester Orchestra is another band that's really good at that, too like throwing in a well-placed woo and all that good stuff so anyway moving on to closure a song about exactly what the title says you know it's singing about someone dying and not while not necessarily needing or even wanting them back because uh, you know you know because that's impossible or right? you can't get them back but uh he also just doesn't know how he's going to deal with them not being here you know and one part he says you know i i need something i can't have i need closure and now, uh, you know, I've, I guess I've been fortunate throughout my life to have only lost two people that were close to me. 
Um, so this song, yeah, I, I can I can relate to it, you know, and uh, the feeling of of losing somebody and just I, I, again, like I said earlier, like you know these certain thoughts about that, like you don't not knowing how to process things and um, maybe not fully understanding how to to get closure or you know it's 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 rough and this song is, is does a good job of conveying that feeling um so next we um kind of have a a little bit of a break in the in the um in the depressing action and uh the song is a uh, bloody mary kate and ashley and it's a uh i think from what i could what i gather it's a song basically uh stefan's like just tripping balls and doesn't know what's real and what's fake and he's trying to figure it all out and uh it's a good song like it's not like super heavy lyrically and all that but um it's just kind of fun. It's funny to, I guess, get into the mind of somebody who's uh, pretty high out of his mind and trying to, just trying to take in everything going on. And it's just, it's uh, it's really kind of a funny song, but it's a, it's a really good song too. So uh, next is a uh, sibling rivalry, and uh, he he said it's a song about him and his sister and some of the misadventures they they had together growing up, like you know rafting up a, a dirty ass river in an inflatable raft. Um, there was a time in the song he talks about like uh, a lot of snow coming down and basically got got stranded or stuck in their tent for a few days so they just got high as shit and threw the map away and just tried to see what would happen if they went out and just you know somehow didn't die I guess but um you know the line in the song that always gets me is uh you know just how to piss me off and I think about my older brother every single time I hear that uh because if you're a younger sibling you know your older sibling more more than anyone anybody else on the fucking planet can piss you off in a heartbeat and they know how to do it and they like doing it they may not admit to it and they might try to you know make it sound well you're just too sensitive or you, or you just get mad at everything it's like nah bullshit i get mad at you but anyway the song conjures up that feeling obviously but uh so what is now the probably the heaviest song on the record as far as just just being aggressive and, and the screaming and, and uh, like the guitar like everything in the song uh, full-blown meltdown I don't know man it could be my favorite song could be my favorite song like I said it's, it's loud it's heavy it's, it's got it's a badass breakdown at the end and uh you know he's talking about just the possibility of uh self-destructing as a band self-destructing as an individual and just admitting, you know, he's admitting that while people, uh, people like to fetishize problems, like, like to, I guess, gossip and like to really see people fall, but he also says he's guilty of it as well, you know, and, you know, he kind of breaks the fourth wall and says he knows exactly what he's doing and that he's surprised the world isn't sick of grown men whining like children, you know, I'm assuming grown men just such as himself, right? So they, um, there's a really good, live performance on YouTube where right when the last note is played, like right when just like the last guitar just hits or whatever, they break straight into uh like a War Pigs jam session and it's fucking awesome. Like it really makes me sad that I missed them I missed them live with Thursday, but then I also actually bought tickets uh for their show last month in New Orleans and you know, I couldn't go uh, scheduling conflicts and it didn't work out but you know, after seeing so many live videos, especially of the new, the newer songs being played, 
really disappointed. And I had a buddy of mine actually go, and he was like, oh, man, it was fucking great. I was like, yeah, thanks, fuck off, man. But, you know, next time. I'll catch him next time, I'm sure. But um, I'll say that the name of that video, if you want to look it up, it's just uh, Full Blown Meltdown, uh, First Play Live. Uh, like I said, I, I highly suggest watching that because it's, like, it's tight as hell. And, you know, moving on to the next track, uh, Bare Hands. <clears throat> it's It's a... I don't know, I guess it's a, it's a tie for number one, because it, this song is so goddamn catchy. Like, I find myself singing it literally all day long. The chorus, like, I sing it every fucking day. I don't realize I'm doing it until I'm doing it, and then I'm like, oh, shit. But the chorus, there's a, um, like, there's these, these gang vocals in the background. It's kind of like a, uh, let's see. It's like, I'm not going to sing it now fuck that but <laughs> there's a there's you know stefan singing along with the like kind of the uh the gang vocals again like i said it, it makes for a perfect sing-along song that i would i'd love to see live you know like i said i had a chance and i just kind of fucked that up and didn't go or i guess i didn't fuck it up but you know it, it worked out in such a way that i could not go but next time right i mean the, the gang vocals are just really just infectious and i love it you know and um the just like the rest of the album it's dark and but it's handled well so they don't sound too miserable and you know it's just so much fun to sing along you kind of almost forget that part of it but then um you know last but not least we have city which is the closing track uh they're from toronto and this appears to kind of be like a like an ode to their hometown but not in a good way. Uh, he says, uh, you know, between you and me, the city's slowly poisoning me. Uh, I don't want to love you anymore, but I just can't help it. You know, it seems to be saying that, you know, while the city is a stain on his psyche and, you know, it's objectively a terrible place, you know, you can't help but be attached to it, I guess, and love it by default. And last time I'm going to say that, but seriously, who can't relate to that in some way, shape, or form, right? Like, it's, it's a wonderful closer to what is already an incredible album. Um, you know, so from the, I guess the, the glossy, you know, really high quality jacket to the record itself and the music and the lyrics, it's, I mean, it's a five out of five for sure. Like there's no, it, it's it's not hard to, to, to put that five out of five, right? But it's also probably not, it's not gonna be hard to put it in like the top 10 or 15 of all time for me, which is really saying something considering how new it is. You know, it is, and you know, it is a very bleak album, uh, lyrically. You can listen to it without reading the lyrics, maybe, and maybe not getting the full gist of what's going on and kind of sing along, you dance, and it's cool, it's great. But if you really want to break it down and get into it and listen to it and, and read the lyrics, you know, it's, um, again, it's, it's really dark, but there's a sort of catharsis with that. You know, it's from, they said that um, singing these songs, uh, I guess, and with all the depressing thoughts and facing them head on was much better for their mental health and that they're they're best they're better off for it uh which i'm i'm paraphrasing stefan here by the way but uh you know it's it's one of those things like he, hearing that i guess uh you know as someone who i'm you know i struggle with depression at times uh, you know i think we all kind of do that in in some way you know in this album does a good job of 
summing those feelings up uh and the way they describe everything it kind of just you know i I just it resonates with me so much and i love it the um and it kind of helps me too to, to think about it and maybe verbalize some of those things that are making me feel bad or whatever and try to uh try to have my own catharsis i guess try to maybe talk through it or or instead of shying away from it and, and letting it kind of put me in a hole, which it still can do sometimes, but I do my best to try to not let it do that anymore, you know, and it's, you know, I'm working at it, but, <clears throat> so I guess my only complaint about the record is that it's, uh, it's roughly 37 minutes long, which just like isn't long enough because I I just, I like it to never end, right? But, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, that's a, that's a silly complaint. That's not, I'm not being, uh, for real there, but, you know, they've, um, they've gotten so good as a band over these first three albums. Like, I really can't wait to see where they go from here and see how they continue to grow as lyricists and musicians, because, you know, if, if this album is any indication, like they aren't, gonna, they aren't slowing down anytime soon. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll be here, be along for the ride and, you know, I can't wait. So, with that, you know, again, I say, you know, download the album, buy the vinyl, listen to it over and over, fall in love with it, like, you you won't be sorry, you know, trust me. You know, so, um, I guess uh, with that, that is my review of Pup's Morbid Stuff. So, um, if you like what you heard here today, you can subscribe now on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Anchor, uh, but also on, especially on, on iTunes, just you know, taking a second to rate the show really helps because it'll help to get the podcast seen by more and more people. So if you all, if anyone's listening, that'd be great. Just uh, drop a, a rating, you know, one star, five star, three, you know, whatever it might be, just get a rating out there for me, you know. And uh, as always, as always, thank you all for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope you come back next week for another episode of The Vinyl Countdown.